Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. From our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids, to our health, we're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about working, women, money, family, and in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. But on this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Catherine Goldstein, who doesn't realize it, but she is my best pal by audio. Catherine is host of The Double Shift, a reported narrative podcast about the new generation of working mothers, including herself as a fellow proto-working mom. As someone who's worked in this space for nearly 20 years, I appreciate not only the fresh stories and voices that Catherine brings to the fore, but also her transparency into the work and stress that goes into trying to succeed as a media entrepreneur, because I know how hard it can be, and to show up and do the work is truly a calling. So all of which is to say is welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me. So um, if you don't mind if I fangirl out, fan working mom out a bit, um, (laughs) (laughs) I have listened to every episode of The Double Shift. And in fact, I believe it was Raquel who told me to drop what I was doing and get on board. So (laughs) I love it. I was immediately floored and envious of what you were doing and doing it on your own and creating something. So I was wondering if we could start by talking about the double shift, how it came together and, you know, where it is right now. I think a few things have happened in your life since season two ended last year. Oh my, oh my. Yes, they have. So yeah, so the origin story of the double shift is, oh man, you know, this is the first time I've been asked the origin story since my own personal story have continued to evolve. So I got to like, I got to cut out a few chapters in order to get the sound bite in, I think. You're such a professional. <laughs> I know. It's all right. Yeah. So basically, I had a sort of high, like high flying New York media career and decided that I had some pretty tough experiences with work when my <laughs> what <laughs> I know when my when my first son was born and I decided I started to shift my focus towards issues facing working mothers and looking at the social and economic issues uh, facing working mothers which back in 2017 which feels like I don't know 14 lifetimes ago yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. that was like a kind of like I mean certainly not unexplored space but like not a super popular popular or like hot space. <laughs> um, it was sort of like seen as a niche. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, I was doing a 35-year-old magazine called Working Mother and I you're saying it was on un- I am going to stop you right there and tell you that we once had, you know, we're ad-based model and there was a brand that literally was looking for to pitch their product to working mothers. And they said to my boss, who was the president of Working Mother Media at the time, we just don't know where to find them. Right. Right. Seriously, Google working mother and we're here. But anyways, back to back to the niche that was unexplored. Yes. No, no, it was not unexplored, but it was sort of seen as a niche and not at all to disparage the work that many people have done (laughs) for a lot. Like there's a lot of people who've been doing work in the space for decades. But I think that it was sort of seen as like only mothers could possibly be interested in this. And it was inherently unserious. And that was another big misconception. So yes, I'm only like a three to four year veteran of the space. (laughs) So I was 
writing some articles and freelancing, but I wanted to have like a much longer and more involved conversation about what it meant to be a working mom and sort of tell stories that I didn't feel like were being told because yeah. Yep. So that was really the origin of the double shift. And I pitched it to a bunch of podcast networks and, you know, continued to get sort of pretty sexist feedback that yep. one piece of feedback I got was that they didn't think there was enough that was interesting about being a working mother to make a whole podcast about it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Considering there's like literally 50,000 shows about like tech gadgets and yeah. like NBA basketball. So like if men are interested in something, it's general interest. If women are interested yeah. in something, it's like highly specialized without broad appeal. So I basically decided that if I wanted to make this happen, like I was going to have to do it myself. And so I sort of created it. I've produced it independently. We're mostly funded by grants. And, you know, I found various partnerships and collaborators to help get the word out and to make a really great show. But basically, it was in the beginning, I would have preferred to sort of like have a high profile cushy network, you know, shepherd me into podcasting glory. But that's like absolutely not what happened, which also sort of proves the point of the double shift that there weren't enough stories to even like enlighten people's imagination that there could be diverse stories. (laughs) For sure. That I was once on a panel and this is also a story about how I'm somewhat slow on the uptake, but it was me. It was a guy representing like the dads, like dad 2.0 and their event. And it was a woman representing gay families and about three quarters of the way through the panel. And it was all these brand people It had been put together by Edelman, the big PR conglomerate or whatever they do. And I realized that I was there representing like they were minority family audiences for their brands. Mm. And about three quarters of the way through the panel, I said, you know that we're the majority, right? right? 77% of women with children under 18 work. Right. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me from that audience throughout the day of this event saying, you really blew our mind with that. And I thought, really? Look at your own stats. Right. Everybody's working. What are you talking about? Right. We're not a. We're not some niche. Oh my goodness. And uh, I have a real problem with flaring at stuff like that. So. <laughs> I pass to the next generation such that yourself <laughs> to be a lot classier and smarter about these things for me to go, what? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think we have to keep the outrage going. I, I, <laughs> I think you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get pretty mad. I'm pretty like, I'm in a general state of high anger at the moment all the time, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And I, let me bring it down and just and I and I'll you know I've been threatening to crack a lot of heads lately. So you know <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm out. I'm there for you for the next generation of working moms. But so with the double shift, just if people don't know, you're going out and you know like in my podcast, it's Raquel and me talking, you and me talking. You're going out and reporting on stories in a really deep way, and that's what was so mind blowing was that they were news stories. That's the old guard in me saying, "Well, I've done, you know, it's always hard to find the next news story on how to do the witching hour or what." That wasn't what you were doing. You were talking about working moms hiding in plain sight, right? Yeah, and I think you know one of the big distinctions that I make about the double shift is that. It's not about parenting or kids. Yes. And that has been a, a thing that people, like, when I was first describing the show, I would be like, it's a show about a new generation of working mothers, like, focused on, like, our lives and identities, and it's not about parenting or kids. And people would just look at me and be like, if it's not about parenting or kids, <laughs> then what is it about? And I'm like, it's about the mothers. And they're like, I don't get it. I, I'm not, I just, like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I always cared more, especially when I first took over Working Mother and it had a lot more parenting edit in it. And it was the vagarities of the publishing industry for which we won't get into. But I always cared way less about the kids than I did about oh, the yeah. moms. I, I like don't really care about kids. I know. I know. <laughs> I believe, there's, there's all kinds of parenting magazines and blogs and that sort of stuff. I care about the stress. I care about our work life. I care about our relationship. I mean, you heard me do the intro. That's the stuff I care about. Yeah, no, totally. I'm totally with you. The double shift also, we don't do tips or tricks. There's no like how to. <laughs> it's like, a, and it's sort of like a genre confusing or shattering yeah. medium because like basically we've been told that like the only thing mothers are interested in are like ways to improve themselves. And I like completely reject that premise. Sigh. Oh my Lord. Yep. That's all I do. I wake up every day wondering how am I going to improve myself? Yep. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So in my world, I was, I started out doing a print magazine in this world and then, you know, things change, but I don't know how you can help yourself, but do this, but always seen through my experiences. Like seriously, almost every story we did at Working Mother that wasn't required by some initiative we had to do was, you know, some question that I had, you right. know, like one of my favorite editor's notes was the, but actually, which was being at the elementary school playground and saying, oh yeah, my daughter is X, Y, Z. And then some, always a mother would say to me, well, actually, you know, and she'd <laughs> try to drop some truth on me that always has a bit of a, like the knife point in me. And so, but that was the thing I was struggling with at that point of people with more information because they were at the school all the time, feeling empowered to drop the stuff on me that, was it helpful? I don't think it was. But so I'm just saying about being kind of a proto-working mom, like I just kind of put myself out there a little bit and you've done the same. And so how's that going for you, proto-working mom? <laughs> well, I didn't finish the rest of yes. my, where we are now. So in February, February 12th, I had twins, twin boys and overachiever. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> The twins were like really out of left field because, and I still like look at them. I'm like, I can't believe I had two babies. This is so many babies. <laughs> it was not something I was expecting. And I thought like I would get used to it. I'm still not used to it. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. There you go. And you had a baby. Let's make yes. sure that the, yes. people know the full playing field of yes. what we were dealing yes. with. Yes. So now I have a five-year-old and two almost six-month-olds. And um, so they were born February 12th, 2020. As some of you may remember, the spring has been quite something. So March 12th, 2020 is when things really started to shut down when they were one month old. So it has been a wild ride that I am still processing and I'm still riding as we are about to stare down the barrel of virtual kindergarten this fall as our mm. school district does not have the money it needs to execute in person anything. So yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. So it's been a wild ride, but I guess I'm truly living my art. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the thing. That's the problem with covering a beat that yeah. you're living. Yeah. yeah, I know it. I really do. I don't know how many other people can say they truly know it. But I know it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's definitely giving me a lot of fodder and ammunition for all of the things that I think are important. And, you know, as someone who's been really interested in not the tips and tricks, but the social, political and economic issues facing working mothers, like this is a very, very, very important time because we're yes. seeing tremendous change. We're seeing tremendous inequalities. We're seeing 
a lot of conversations about gender roles in the home. We're seeing a lot of conversations about earnings and bias in the workplace against mothers and sort of like how this is going to impact women over the next decades, really. Right. So it's definitely a time that I feel like, I don't know, I'm like ready to be called up to the major leagues here in terms of... In terms of expert in what's happening right now. So, yeah. Well, and like, honestly, I I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed as looking at all these issues. It was almost like to think of it like minor league versus major league, like when we were always sidelined. And so you were constantly punching up to say, you know, come on, we need it's we still freaking need a paid leave mandate in this country. But it almost seems defined because there it is, you know, Senator Gillibrand and Rosa DeLauro have their family act. We know what it is. I don't know. It almost when you look back to say five years ago, it seems defined. Now we're all in it. And I get a little overwhelmed with kind of defining it for working mothers because now everyone's in it. If you get what I'm uh, saying, I, I I need you younger folks. To- <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think, I mean, I think what has happened right now is obviously in the situation, like the more resources you have, probably the better off you are in this current environment, but basically yeah. it still sucks for everyone. In some ways it's kind of equalized the problems right. that even people who yes. had a lot of privileges are feeling the same problems that other people have felt. And I actually have been trying to remind myself of that in that, you know, when I feel like incredibly stressed about my childcare choices and landscape, I, and like sort of the the despair I feel about public education and its lack of funding, the level of despair I'm personally feeling may be new to me, but it's not new to many other people. And so in that way, it's very humbling to remember that. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are experiencing things that they were able to yeah. eke their way out of, like mm-hmm. they could buy their way out of a yes. little tiny bit, like just yep. enough. And and you know, we've, li- we've lived in a, a culture that has said childcare and raising kids is just on the individual. There's no sense of social yes. support. There's no sense of social obligation. And we're really seeing how flawed that is and how that's basically going to crumble society. <laughs> for sure. And completely even stepping back for just childcare for like health insurance, paid yeah. leave. It's all an employer lottery. Right. Which is always the rude awakening that especially moms, because we're the ones recovering from freaking birth, that you say, wait, I don't get paid leave? And I go, no, no. About 5% of the workforce in this country has access to fully paid leave. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is super interesting because I'm a college-educated mother, and if I had made some different employment choices, I would have had paid leave for the birth of my twins, which I did not. I did not have access to any paid family leave for the birth of my twins. And so it it was interesting among my, you know, having reported on this, we've done episodes on the double shift, I've written about it. And it was interesting, even among my like social group, people were like, wait, you don't get anything at all? And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, really nothing because I'm self-employed. And they're like, no, wait, but what about like FMLA? And I'm like, no, that's not, no, I, there's no. No, none of that. No. None of, and that's not paid. And so it's, it's really interesting that there's a huge class divide in who even has access to it. And it's, right. but, you know, it's, it is a lot of, a lot of lottery and a lot of luck of the draw and a lot about life choices and stuff like that. So, and I think the conversation is now changing that people, in our current crisis are seeing that like paid leave should not be a, like a lottery situation that basically everybody needs it. Yes. And that even if you could throw money at the problem, 
there is no solution. You know, if all the childcare centers, not every single one, but if a, a large swath of them go bankrupt because there are no private payments and they're working on such a slim margin, you don't, there's no one even to throw the money at. If right. you could. Yes, I think, well, you know, hopefully, please may we remember some of these lessons that are so evident right now in our families right now, which leads us to CareCore, because that's what prompted me to reach out because I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So tell me, I keep referring you to you as the next generation, but I really do. <laughs> My children are teenagers and I think, oh, Babies, you, re- oh, geez. So tell me, tell me, young, fresh mind, what is this idea that you have and how will you save us? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've um, written about the idea of a care core, which is a, like an AmeriCorps or a Teach for America, but for caregiving. Mm. And this idea came to me as I was nonstop taking care of baby twins in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Yes. Thinking that maybe other people might also want some caregiving help during this time. But basically, the idea is that because we're potentially seeing, you know, there's predictions 50% of childcare centers are going to close. As we know, a lot of school is going to be virtual in the fall. And we're in like a complete crisis around care. The idea would be either government funded or like a public private partnership to basically fund like stipends for recent college graduates or young people who wanted job opportunities because the economy, of course, is terrible. And, you know, I think in in different times, this also could be expanded to retired people. I think that's a little more difficult right now because of, you know, COVID exposures. But yes, and so they would be given some training, they could provide virtual learning help, they could provide in-home childcare, they could provide for young kids, as well as school age kids, they could do tutoring or remedial work, and they could either live in underused college dorms or potentially with families. And I think it would change the conversation that like care is something that is one is valuable is patriotic, yeah. and it's something that everyone should know how to do. And that there's like dignity and importance to this work and that there mm-hmm. should be some amount of government funding and subsidy for this in order for us to survive and that basically childcare is essential. And I don't think this would replace childcare centers, but it would offer a, a stopgap solution basically for, you know, the unprecedented crisis we're, we're going through right now with care. Yes. And the care continues, you know, even when the pandemic passes through and it's a long ago memory to us all, may that happen. But, you know, there is a moment when even if you you were going to use childcare centers like I did, there is a time where the kids are too young for them. You know, there's that. There's remedial help as the kids get older for co- just incorporating this into the idea of public service and support for our families. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's a crisis now and then it's a legacy for later right? That it could flow through all aspects of our lives as we move through this. Totally. And, you know, in my optimistic moments, I think (laughs) crisis is a time of potential tremendous social change. And the New Deal came out of a crisis. And I think, you know, if you introduce something like this, maybe theoretically, people get used to it and come to rely on it, and it becomes something that you can't take away. And that, so I think that introducing it as a solution in this crisis and then continuing Letting to make it, evolve. it hard, yeah. Yeah, evolve as every, I think, working parent knows, and especially parents with young children know right now, like the status quo of how things were with childcare was not good. Like it no. was 
very expensive, very limited. So right. it's not like we are like dying to go back to that. Like let's build something a lot right. better. Or back to normal yeah. does not is not fun. Yeah. No. So yeah. let's build something much better and like the rest of so many other countries in Europe and everything where you aren't expected to pay like equivalent of a mortgage to send an infant to daycare. Done you it. Know? Yeah. You <laughs> Done can, it twice. <laughs> yeah. So like you can actually have something lower income people can pay nothing or you mm-hmm. have caps based on how much income you pay. And then also centers don't have to worry about how with private payments that they're going to go out of business. Like that right. this isn't running it on a for-profit model basically underpays workers, overtaxes families, and creates a really unstable situation. And that's why we're seeing a risk of up to 50% of the centers closing. That's true. Well, and you lay it out in your essay for Huffington Post. So we'll make sure to link there so you can kind of go deep in it if you're listening and you're thinking, this is how I think we should go ahead. But have you thought about, you know, now that you came up with the idea, now we have to figure out how to execute on it. So what <laughs> do yeah. we know what to do? Well, no good deed. Well, no, no good deed. I, um, I've actually been quite happy because some people who have considerable influence and connections to people with money have actually reached out about thinking about implementing how we could implement this. And so there's nothing to publicly announce yet, but actually things are being, this wasn't just a late night musing for me that people actually are taking this idea seriously and trying to get people with uh, capital and power involved in trying to pilot something. So wonderful. So there is hope. I mean, I don't, yeah. I would really love it if they would do it here in Durham, North Carolina, where I live. I was like, I have a great idea. How about the city I live in? Let's try that there first. Let's pilot here. <laughs> what a great place to pilot. I was like, let yes. me tell you all the reasons. It's a really great idea. <laughs> I have three children you could pilot with. I love it. Just take the oldest one. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to that end, say somewhat, how can people find you? How can they follow you? How can they support this idea of the double shift? Tell us all. Sure. Yeah. So you definitely subscribe and check out the double shift and wherever you get your podcast, we have two seasons out. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, the I'm on Twitter and I tweet angry things about childcare and Yay! state of working mothers at KGEEE. And double shifts on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you're really into the double shift, you can become a member and support our work. And we have actually the producer, senior producer, Rachel McCarthy, and I have been having a series of ongoing and intimate conversations about being working moms in the COVID era that is very unfiltered. And so I hope that we're having conversations that many people are also having in their own heads that it's, <laughs> it's for members as it's not reported and it's not all polished like our regular episodes. But a more intimate lens into what we're, we're <laughs> dealing with. So we're doing that for members right now. And we're going to continue to push ahead on a, on a third season. So oh, that's, that's where we are. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me on The Breadwinners. Our guest today was Catherine Goldstein, host of The Double Shift. You'll find links to everything we talked about, especially about the Care Corps, in the episode description wherever you listen to this podcast. Visit us anytime at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com to ask a question, share your story, offer feedback, donate to get that Double Shift Season 3 going. How are you making it work? We'd love to know. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. Let us know what you think about The Breadwinners help us sell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.